The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. Well, today we're going to go through the 13th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bible this morning, go ahead and go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We've been in a series that we started a couple of weeks ago, took a brief break from as we had Ryan Miller speak last week. And we're going verse by verse through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And remember, this letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. And it was a corrective letter because there were eight different problems that he was addressing in the church in Corinth that they were having. And those problems that they were having are nothing new um, because we see those same types of challenges uh, faced by the church today all around the world. But the one that we're particularly zeroing in on and examining and learning about is the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that come through the Holy Spirit, the empowering, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit, all those different terms and phrases. We're looking at that and seeing what the Apostle Paul uh, wrote to this church who very much misunderstood the operation of these gifts. Now, when we went through chapter 12, we talked a little bit more about who the Holy Spirit actually is and how the gifts of the Holy Spirit work. This week, we're going to focus in on the greatest gift of all. And chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians it gets uh, this kind of stigma attached to it as the love chapter. You may have had 1 Corinthians chapter 13 even cited uh, at your wedding, or maybe you've heard it at weddings, even though that's not really the context to use 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Hate to burst your, bu- your, your bubble there, but 1 Corinthians 13 is not talking about the relationship between a husband and a wife. That's not the context in which the Apostle Paul wrote it. And so the intent of the author was very much to write about the love of God that should be superseding and leading the operation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that God has given to the body of Christ. He was talking about the context of a church setting. Chapter 12 deals with unity in the church. Chapter 14 deals with the edification in the church. And chapter 13, which we're going to go through today, talks about love in the church. John 13 and 15, Jesus said this, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He says, this is going to be the calling card. This is going to be the sign that everyone knows. It's not going to be how many Christian bumper stickers you can fit on your car. It's not going to be how many Christian t-shirts are in your drawer. It's not going to be the jewelry you wear, the tattoos that you have. It's not going to be how uh, perfect your church attendance is. It's not going to be how much money you give. No, he said, by this, all men are going to know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the calling card. This is the thing that lets people know we're different. This is the thing that differentiates us, is by the way we treat one another, by the way we love each other. And Jesus said, this is the calling card of being a disciple of Christ, because love is the family character trait of God. If we say we're a part of God's family, we're children of God, we are sons and daughters of God, The main character trait we should possess that identifies us as a child of God should be love. Love is the criteria that gives an authentic witness to the world that we are of God. Everything else can be counterfeit. Everything else can try to have another option, 
But love, man, you can't counterfeit love. Chapter 13 should really have started at the end of chapter 12, if you want to actually look at the way that it's broken up. But remember, the text is inspired by God. The chapter and verse divisions are not. Actually, just a little history for you, chapter and verse divisions didn't come along until 1551. Okay, so they're relatively new to even exploring scriptures just for our reference. So don't look at the, the numbers and chapter divisions and think those were uh, as inspired by the Holy Spirit as the words on the page, okay? The chapter and verse divisions are there for us. So if we look at the way the letter was written, I like actually attaching chapter 12 and verse 31 to chapter 13 because it makes more sense with the ebb and flow of the conversation. So let's read 1 Corinthians 12 and let's look at the last last verse of that, and then we'll go into reading the first verse of chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 12 and 31 says, but desire the, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Paul said, listen, desire the greatest gift of all, earnestly desire the gifts, but I really want you to pursue this one because this one really matters. You need to be pursuing love because if you don't have love, you may speak in tongues and you may speak of to in tongues of angels and men, but listen, if you don't have love, you are like a clinging symbol, like a resounding brass. And he wasn't just talking about you're just making a bunch of senseless noise. He was actually speaking directly to something that was going on in Corinth because the clanging cymbal and sounding brass was a reference to the way that the pagans, the people that didn't follow Christ, the people that worshiped false gods, it was a reference to how they would actually try to get the attention of the gods that they worshiped. In Corinth, much like in Ephesus, you see that there was a heavy, heavy, heavy Diana worship, which dealt with a lot of sexual immorality and all sorts of temple prostitution, and they worshiped the goddess Diana. And one of the things that they would do is that they would try to get the attentions of the gods by making a noise on this big, huge cymbal, kind of like the gong, you know, and they would like make a big noise to try to get the God's attention. They're trying to say, look at me, look at me, do uh, bless me, you know, give me whatever I'm asking. I'm trying to get your attention. But yet Paul is trying to tell them also, listen, those gods don't answer because they're false gods. They're not true gods. And if you speak in tongues and you don't have love, you are just basically trying to draw attention to yourself and nothing's going to happen other than people are just going to look at you. So love has to be the thing that's leading the way. It has to go before. It has to be the foundation of the exercising of any gifts. He said, listen, I don't care what you do. You're just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal if you don't have love. You need to desire this gift. You need to make sure that you're pursuing the greatest gift, and that is love. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, and if I have prophetic powers, and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Paul's making a very, very bold statement here to the church in Corinth, and I believe the Holy Spirit speaking to us today, that just because you operate in spiritual gifts doesn't mean that you have love, and that love is the thing that should actually be the authenticator 
and the true desire and, and, and the part of uh, serving God and serving each other and using these spiritual gifts, the thing that actually is the foundation should be love. The devil can try to counterfeit every one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but, but he can't counterfeit love. He can try to redefine love. He can try to distort what it means and try to water down that message and give an alternative, but he can't truly counterfeit love. He can get you to think that because you have a spiritual gift that you have reached the upper echelon of Christianity, and it's easy for you to think because you have this spiritual gift that somehow you're superior, and that's the exact attitude that the Apostle Paul is trying to address here to the church in Corinth, and he's trying to get them to understand, listen guys, it's not about you. It's about serving God. It's about loving God. It's about loving others. We have it on the big red wall. Love God. Love people. Serve the world. He's saying love needs to be at the forefront. It is truly the greatest gift because without love, we're just Pharisees. Think, think about the Pharisees for a moment in Jesus' day. These guys were educated, all right? These were not idiots. I mean, yeah, we look at them as the bad guys of Jesus' day, but they weren't bad people in the sense of they were out doing and committing a bunch of crime and doing a bunch of wrong things. Actually, they were some of the most upstanding citizens of their day. And they weren't all these, these, these grumpy, frumpy guys that we may you know, picture in our minds when we hear stories about the Pharisees. These people were well-educated. They were very smart. These people knew the Torah, they knew the law, they knew the prophets, they had this stuff memorized, and it was their job to go out and to teach it, it was their job to continually memorize it and debate it and try to seek to understand it. These people were very, very sharp people, but Jesus called those people who knew Scripture in and out, upside down, knew all of the context, knew, knew exactly what uh, certain passages uh, to use in certain situations and how to teach it and how to break it down and explain it to people. Jesus called those people like whitewashed tombs. He said, you're clean and white on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dead man's bones. What was the difference? The difference was that they had a lot of head knowledge, but they really didn't have any love. They really didn't have the, 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 true, the true heart behind the message because Jesus said that if they would have had the heart behind the message and would have truly seen what those things actually meant, Jesus said, you would know I'm from God, is what he told the Pharisees. He told them one time when he was talking to him, he said, you would know me and you would know that my father sent me if you were truly of my father. And they said, well, we're of Abraham. And he said, no, you're not. You're of your father, the devil. Ah, he called the ministers of his day children of Satan. That's like the worst. He called them a brood of vipers, whitewashed tombs. Jesus wasn't messing around. There was something these people had missed, and he was trying to get them to wake up and see you're missing the point here. It's not just about memorizing all these facts. It's not just being able to regurgitate these things on command and being able to answer the questions and being able to recite all of the things you need to recite. There's something deeper that you're missing. And it's the same thing if we're not careful that we can miss if we think that because we have spiritual gifts or that because we have a certain amount of knowledge or understanding or experience that we are somehow the upper echelon of Christianity, that we are somehow superior in, in some way 
or that we have, you know, the whole truth. And that, those poor Christians over there, they just have a little bit of the truth. But if you follow me, you know, you'll really, you'll really get some truth. We can get arrogant very easily, much like the Pharisees got arrogant. Jesus said that they would stand out and, and pray really loudly in order to draw attention to themselves. And he said, don't be like them. He said, they're getting their reward. They're just trying to draw attention to themselves. They are a sounding brass. They are a clanging cymbal. They're, they're missing the point. They're getting the wrong type of attention here. And so here he says, listen, you can have the gift of tongues. You can have the gift of prophecy. You can have the gift of faith. But if you don't have love, then you're missing the point. He highlights those three gifts specifically, where he talks about tongues, prophecy, and faith. He talks about those three gifts. And I don't know this for a fact, but I would guess and kind of theorize that he highlights those three gifts most likely because those are the three gifts that maybe the Corinthians would wear on their shirts like merit badges. These are the three that they were the most proud of, or they they thought that these gifts were kind of the superior gifts. And that's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he said, listen, uh, does the eye say to the hand, you know, you remember when our eyes and hands were talking? You remember when I taught that a couple of weeks ago? And he says, does the eye say to the hand, I don't need you? Or, or, or does it say I can, you know, survive without you? He said, no. He said, each part of the body works together and each one does its part. And he was trying to say all those parts are valuable. Each part of the body has meaning and significance, and it's not that, there's these, that, that tongues are more important, or it's not that the gift of faith is more important, or that the gift of prophecy is more important. No, he said, actually, the greatest gift is love, and that's the message that Paul was trying to get across, and I believe that the Lord wants us to hear today. So, what about prophecy here? Prophecy in the context of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, when it's mentioned, was not dealing primarily with telling uh, of the future, even though that word is also used for that same type of gift or office where a prophet would be someone that would foretell the future, like Isaiah the prophet or Jonah or Micah in those prophetic books. No, it didn't just mean foretelling the future. It, when Paul was using it here, he meant prophecy in the sense of speaking a word given or directed by the Holy Spirit that would encourage, that would build up, that would edify, or that would share the gospel with someone. Because remember when Jesus said that to go wait on high and you'll be endued with power, and he said the Holy Spirit is going to come. When he told his disciples to do that, to go wait uh, for, for the Holy Spirit, he said that there's a purpose for it. Remember, in Acts, the first chapter, in the fourth verse, he begins to talk about uh, how the Holy Spirit was going to come. And then in the seventh verse, he said he's going to empower you to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world. He said, listen, the Holy Spirit's going to empower you to, to share and proclaim the gospel and to do things in the name of God that's going to point people to Jesus that you couldn't do in your own strength. And so as we look at one of the one of the primary functions of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is to help us to be witnesses of the gospel. We see even in prophecy that part of prophecy's job is to edify, build up, and to share the gospel. We see that Peter, when um, the Holy Spirit fell in uh, Acts chapter 2 and people spoke in other tongues, and then the Bible says Peter began to proclaim the Word of God boldly, began to preach and teach and the things he began to say were directed by the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit using Peter in that moment to the point to where people were looking at this guy, and they're like, isn't that the fisherman? 
Like, he didn't go to seminary, right? Like, that's the fisherman. How is he doing all this? He's an untrained, he's an unlearned person. How, how is he doing this? The Holy Spirit, there were other portions in the book of Acts where we see that when the Holy Spirit would empower people to speak boldly, and I believe that that's directly connected with these words of prophecy. Um, also, the gift of faith. I believe that, you know, we have faith as believers, as Christians. We have to have faith, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But I believe that this gift of faith, as I understand it anyways, is a supernatural type of faith. And I believe that it's in certain instances where God gives you a supernatural faith to trust Him to do something that only He can do in those moments where maybe your strength is just gone and God just comes by His Holy Spirit to not only comfort you where the Holy Spirit comforts, but He also gives you that gift of faith. I believe that I have operated in that gift of faith at various points in my life. One time in particular that I can remember that I believe it was truly the Holy Spirit given gift of faith operating in me was when my uh, daughter was born. Our, our twins were born. One of them was born perfectly healthy. One of them had a lot of complications and was uh, basically died seven times on a helicopter ride to Children's Hospital. And we spent the next month or so in, in and out of Children's Hospital. And, and uh, she was hooked up in the NICU. And it was a scary, scary time in our life. And I went up and down, up and down, up and down. And then something shifted. Something changed. And I can't tell you it was something I did. I can't tell you it was because, you know, I'm a pastor and it's kind of what you do, you know, super faith, right? No, it wasn't like anything like that because I was scared just like any other parent would be and I was worried and all these other things, but the Holy Spirit just came over me and comforted me and something shifted to where I began to stand up and trust God and I began to lead my wife and lead my family and her family. I began to lead all of those people by setting the example of faith, and it wasn't something I conjured up on my own. It wasn't something that came from some great Bible study I read. I believe it was a supernatural Holy Spirit-given uh, gift of faith for that time, where God gave me that supernatural ability to have that faith, to be able to trust Him through a very challenging situation. And those gifts are great, and, and I've operated in many gifts of the Holy Spirit, and I'm, I'm grateful for those things. I believe that there have been times where the Holy Spirit's used me in uh, words of knowledge, where uh, the Holy Spirit's given me words for people, where I've shared those things with them, and, and, I, and, and it's helped them greatly because it was something that the Holy Spirit was putting on my heart to share with them and giving me that gift in that moment. I believe that God has used me regularly in uh, words of prophecy, edification, building up where I, I feel led or drawn to make a phone call or go visit someone and share something with them that's on my heart, maybe even a stranger that I see. And I believe that those things the Holy Spirit does, but man, they're all great. I love those gifts. I love that gift of faith, love the gift of tongues, love the gift of prophecy, love all the gifts, but the best gift is love. Amen? The best gift is love. Paul was introducing the idea of love being supreme. No gift was a superior gift, but some people thought, man, this thing is like a merit badge, whether it's faith, prophecy, tongues, whatever, they're wearing these things. But listen, spiritual gifts are not merit badges to be worn, but rather servant towels to wash one another's feet with. I want you to think about that. I want you to let that sink in. They're servant towels to wash one another's feet with. Supernatural spiritual gifts by the Holy Spirit are given to serve the world by proclaiming the gospel and they're meant to build up the church of Jesus Christ, neither of which will happen unless love is at the center. Even generosity 
Even the gift of generosity. Maybe God has given you a gift of, of, of great generosity. But if it's not in love, man, it, it may be love in action, but it could be self-serving. It could be a, a, a clanging symbol. It could be just look at me. Or I'm trying to get God's attention. Look, God, look at what I'm doing. It's very easy for us to slip into that. If love is not at the center, even good things that we look at and we go, wow, that's a really good thing that so-and-so did. Or wow, that's really amazing. That was a great word from the Lord. Or wow, I really was edified and built up on all these great things. But man, we can so quickly slip into this self-serving, banging the symbol. Look at me, God. Look what I did. Now, what are you going to do for me? Because look what I did for you. We, we get this idea that sometimes we can put God in our debt or that God's lucky to have us. Boy, God, you sure are lucky to have me on your team. Woo, man. Oh, I bet you, you, you just smile every time I wake up and go, he's awake. Woo, yeah. I bet you're just so happy to see me, God, because you know I'm on your team. I mean, we think way, way, way too high of ourselves when over and over again in Scripture, we're told not to think higher of ourselves than we should. And we're told to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and in due season He'll exalt us. And, and we're told to, 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 to actually follow the example of Jesus. And Jesus set the best example ever before He was crucified. One of the things that He did was He got down on His knees and He girded Himself with a servant's towel. Jesus the Son of God, the Messiah, God in the flesh, God in the flesh, girded itself with a servant's towel. Let that sink in. Let that thought sink in. I mean, my goodness, if some goofy celebrity showed up and wanted to wash people's feet, we would say, no, 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 no. You get the best seat in the house. And, and, and here you have someone who is greater than any celebrity or any, any political figure that's ever lived or ever will live. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator, the one that spoke into nothing and everything was formed, girds himself because now he's, he's among us. He's in the flesh. He girds himself in a servant's towel and begins to wash his disciples' dirty, yucky, gross feet. And then when he's done, he looks at him and he says, what I have done for you now go and do for one another. And he's trying to communicate something here that these gifts he's giving us, they're not for us to wear and, and puff our chests out. No, they're servant towels that we're to use to wash one another's feet with and to wash the feet of those who don't know Christ. Anything that we do that has the temptation to cause us to draw attention to ourselves as not driven by love. I mean, if, if we're just drawn to bang the symbol, whether it's to get the attention of God or the attention of someone else, look at what I can do. Look at how gifted I am. Look at how great I am. If that's our heart, if that's our motive, we're missing the point. Verse 3, he says, If I give away everything that I have, and deliver my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Man, if, if I live my complete life just being a sacrifice, if I empty myself even to the point of death 
for the sake of the gospel. But if I'm not doing it out of love, whoa. He says, I gain nothing. If I give away everything I have to the poor and if I give up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I have gained nothing. Let this sink in today how rich this text is. The definition of love here is given in context of the motive to using our spiritual gifts and sharing the gospel and edifying the church. So let's look here at the definition of love. 1 Corinthians 13, let's read verse 4 through 10. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, well, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Here, this definition of love is given in this context of, of the motive that we should have in using our spiritual gifts to serve the church, to share the gospel. Paul's saying this is how you should treat people. This is how you should view other people. This is how the world will know you follow Jesus. If love is the thing that shows the world that we follow Christ, if Jesus said that they'll know you're my disciples when you have love one for another and this is how you do it, then we need to understand how to serve God by loving Him and loving other people. Jesus washed His disciples' feet. He said, now you do this to each other. Paul goes back and he uses, in verse 8 through 10, he, he uses the examples of the gifts that he used. So he's kind of like bringing this thing around and referencing what he's already kind of talked about a little bit in verses 8 through 10 where he says these gifts are going to one day pass away when that which is perfect has come in other words what that means is that the return of jesus christ when jesus comes there won't be a need for gifts anymore there won't be a need for spiritual gifts but because god is love it's who he is it's his nature there will always be love all these other things are going to pass away. When, when that which is perfect has come, when we don't have the need to be sharing the gospel anymore because we're seeing Him face to face, because we're in the presence of God and we're, we're with Him forever, when that happens and the perfect thing has come, then we're not going to need to operate in these gifts anymore because we're not going to need to share the gospel. There's not going to be a, a, a need to, to, to be edifying and building one another up because we're going to be with Jesus. Those gifts aren't going to be necessary, but love will always be there. Love will always be present. It will never go away because it's God's nature. The gifts are for now. The gifts have a beginning. The gifts have an end. But guess what? Love, love has no beginning. Love has no end because it's the very nature of God. God is love. The greatest gift is love. The greatest gift is love. Let's finish up reading here uh, verse 11 where Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. 
I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Paul here speaks about maturity. He's talking about, he's still talking about how love is always going to endure. And when we see Jesus face to face, these gifts are going to go away, but we're going to fully know who he is when we see him face to face. Because right now we're seeing through a a mirror dimly, but when we see him face to face, we're truly going to know what we need to know. These gifts aren't going to be necessary, but love is still going to be around. And he uses the illustration of speaking and thinking like a child and how we, to how we see ourselves and how we think and how we speak to one another, that our understanding of God is so small and we truly don't know everything, and we have to be humble like a child. But when he became a man or when he became mature, he understood things that he didn't understand as a child, much like when we see Jesus face to face, we're going to understand things we don't understand yet. And as you look in context, that's what Paul's saying. He's not necessarily talking about us progressing and growing spiritually and maturing spiritually here on earth, even though that's very much a truth that we need to learn. That's just not what he's saying in this text with that particular illustration. He's saying, when I was a child, I didn't understand everything. I was dependent. I was very much dependent upon my parent. But when I became a man, I I put away those childish things. I understood things I didn't understand when I was a kid. And he's saying, just like this mirror, I don't see everything. I only see a part. But when I see him face to face, I'm going to be like that mature man when when I know the things I need to know. But when I'm a child, I'm more dependent. And Jesus uses children as an illustration in his ministry where he takes a child, sets a child on his lap and says, if you want to know what the kingdom of heaven is like, it's like this child here. This is, this is the example that Jesus used as he sits his child on his lap when the disciples were arguing over who was the greatest in the kingdom, who was the greatest disciple, when they were wanting their merit badges from Jesus. And he says, come here. You know what? This is, this is what it's like. It's an innocence. It's a dependence on God. It's a seeing who he is in light of who I am and my need for him, and my, my, my dependence and my pursuit of him. And that's what Paul is saying here. When I was a child, I, man, I didn't understand everything. But when I became a man, I put away those childish things. I didn't need those things anymore. I don't need those gifts. Some people try to use that passage of Scripture to say that the gifts aren't in use today. But if you look at the context of what he's saying, that's not at all what he's trying to communicate. It's not a healthy uh, exegesis of Scripture to just say that that would mean, oh, well, the gifts are over. No, he said, when that which was perfect, because I understand as a child, I see through a mirror dimly, but then I put those things away when I saw him face to face, if you look at what he's really saying there. And I, I believe what Paul's trying to do here is he's trying to bring unity in the church with this statement because he's comparing our understanding of Scripture and of spiritual gifts to a child's level of maturity. And a person who doesn't see clearly because the mirror is not an exact reflection, it's, it's not really clear. Some of our misunderstandings of God and the misunderstandings that the Corinthians were 
actually dealing with were because of their own selfish immaturity. Some come from the fact that we don't see everything, and some come from the fact we only see what we want to see. But we will one day. But what we can see now, and what we can grasp, and what we can get a hold of now, even though we can argue about all these other things, the one thing we can settle on, the one thing we should not be foolish or immature on, and the one thing that we can agree and that should unite us, bring us together, and help us to do what God has put us here on this earth to do is that we see that love is the greatest gift and that we recognize that and that we treat one another in a way that would honor God and that would bring glory to God and would unify His church. In our relationship with God, Faith is important, and it causes us to have hope. And man, hope and, and faith, all those things are necessary. But love is the greatest gift. You can know more scriptures than anyone else. You can operate in all sorts of spiritual gifts. You can live a holy life. You can have high, high moral standards. But if you don't have love, just making a bunch of noise. Let's go back and let's examine one more time. 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 4, I mean verse 4 through 7, where he says, love is patient and kind. He's talking about with people, okay? Let's look at this properly. He's talking about in the church. He's talking about with other people. We think that, you know, love is patient. We think patience means being patient through some sort of circumstance, like circumstantial patience, like, Lord, give me patience through this deal that, that I'm frustrated with at work. No, he's saying love is patient in reference to dealing with other people, especially in the church, because the calling card, the sign that you follow Jesus is the way you treat each other. He's saying love is patient and kind. We just did a series, I don't know, a couple months ago, talking about church wounds. We're talking about how people get wounded in, in the house of God by other people who say they follow Jesus. That's not very attractive to a world that doesn't know Christ, is it? When we wound one another, when we gossip about one another, when we don't serve one another, care for one another, help bear one another's burdens, no, that doesn't give a very big testimony to the world. It's like, hey, come join our drama club. And I don't mean like we're learning skits and stuff. I mean like reality TV drama. And ain't nobody got time for that. And God doesn't want us to get wrapped up in those things. He said, listen, he wants us to be about love. And he's talking here to them in the context of the church and in the context of the way they look at themselves and how we can get so arrogant, how we can think that we know so much more than someone. We're so much better than someone. We, we have no idea what's going on in their home. We have no idea what's going on in their lives. Have we stopped to think, to ask, or to sit down, buy them a cup of coffee, pray for them, care for them? Or are we just going to jump straight in the judgment seat? Well, they don't need to be doing that. <sighs> Who do we think we are? We're supposed to be loving each other and caring for one another, not just not causing division, not, oh, did you see what he wore, she wore? To, come on. Can we love each other right where they're at? Oh, they didn't say this right or do this right. 
Did you see what they did? Did you see what they put on Facebook? Did you see all the blah, 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 blah? Come on. We're supposed to be the family of God. We're supposed to be helping each other. Sometimes that does mean we share truth that's, that's challenging to share, but we always share it in love. And we don't share those things to other people behind their back. Because that's not love. We don't, we don't say, oh man, if everyone would just... And, and I know we would never say this stuff. I, I get it, right? I get it. We would never say this stuff, but our hearts think it. Where we would say in our hearts, oh man, there's no Christians in that church that probably pray as much as I do. There's no Christians in that church that probably live as holy as I do. You see how everybody else lives? Oh, man, if everybody would raise their kids like I've raised my kids, man, I'll tell you what, they, they, I'll tell you what, if everybody would just, you know, give like I give, worship like I worship, this church would be a lot better. And we, we don't, we'd never say these things. I get it. Like, none of us would ever just say those things. At least I hope we wouldn't. But we think these things in our hearts. Did you see how many tattoos that person had? Did you see that, that person wore... Did you see what the person did? Oh my goodness, and we talk about it. <laughs> That's not of God. Can I get an amen, somebody? <laughs> That's not of God. And I don't care how many spiritual gifts you have. If you don't have love, you're just trying to make a bunch of noise. And that's what Paul was trying to get across to the church, and I believe that's what the Holy Spirit wants to get across to this church today. That, man, we've got to be people who are filled with the Spirit of God, operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yes, going out and sharing the gospel, doing the work of the ministry, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, and living this thing out, and being a holy people who are set apart, and being a people that are living for God, and people that are pursuing God, and worshiping God. But if we don't have love, we're missing the point. We can have all those other great attributes and be some sort of social elite club that's not doing anything to impact eternity. And I don't want to play games. I want to make a difference in eternity. <laughs> we didn't get past verse 4. We'll read more. <laughs> it doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. Come on. It's not rude. That's not love. It doesn't insist on its own way. Oh, hold the phone. That could preach right there. It does not insist on its own way. Wow. Meditate on that and think on that this week, Derek. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Somebody needs to meditate on that this week. You need to stop rejoicing in when someone else is failing. That's not love. That's the enemy working in you. You need to recognize it and ask God to give you compassion for those who may be struggling, even those who may be your enemies, your ex-wife, your ex-husband, someone who's hurt you, another pastor maybe. Don't rejoice, at, don't rejoice when they fall into something wrong, when they slip up, when it doesn't go their way. But instead it rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. It endures all things and it never fails. Can you commit this week to maybe just meditate on 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7? That'd be my challenge to you. Just meditate on it. Let's just write it down, journal it, 
put it on a little index card, put it on your mirror, put it on your refrigerator, whatever the case, put it in your car, put it right on one of those little note cards, right on your bulletin, whatever the case may be, stick it in your Bible, open up, read it every day, and, and think on it throughout the day. Don't just read it, think on it, and think on it over and over again. Think on the attributes of love, and ask God to help you grow in loving Him this way and loving other people this way. Because as you do your witness for God, your witness for Jesus Christ, your witness for the gospel, man, it's going to increase. By this, all men will know you're my disciples. And then begin to act on it. Begin to do something with that love. Begin to ask the Holy Spirit to use you, to give you those gifts, to be able to operate and do things that only through the power of God you can do. Holy Spirit, empower me with the gifts you want me to have said he distributes them as the Holy Spirit wills. God, give me what you want. I want everything you have, and I want to do it for the right reasons. This is a heart check. It's a motive check. Lord, I want to do things for you and serve you for the right reasons. Not to make a name for myself, not to get a pat on the back, not to wear a merit badge, but to wash the feet of other people, to wash the feet of other Christians, to wash the feet of those who don't yet know Christ and show them a better way. Evaluate your, your thoughts by this criteria. Evaluate your attitudes and your motives in light of this text and ask the Holy Spirit to give you gifts. Yes, but pursue the love of God and grow in the love of God. Because yes, we want, we want gifts. We want God to use us. We want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do things for God and to serve Him. But man, the heart has to be in the right place. God, keep our hearts in the right place when it comes to us being used by you, by the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. Because you can speak in tongues, you can have prophecy, you can have faith, and all those great gifts and all, and all the others. We could just sit here and name gifts all day long and talk about the gifts. But man, if you don't have love, it's just making a bunch of noise. Lord, help us to pursue the greatest gift. Help us to pursue love, loving each other as you loved us. Let us see the gospel when you loved us as we were yet sinners, you died for us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for giving us that type of love and loving us, Lord, where and we didn't earn it, we don't deserve it. But Lord, you, as that song says, you gave yourself away for us that type of love. Help us to wash others' feet. Help us to be reminded of this message today. Humble our thoughts towards ourselves. We ask you, humble our thoughts towards ourselves and our dependence upon self and our self-reliance. Lord, let us repent of it today. Let us turn and seek you with everything we've got because you truly are the answer. We love you today, Jesus. We honor you in this place. Worship you. We love you, Lord. If you're in this place today and you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want there to be an opportunity for someone to just be able to minister to you by helping to share with you how simple it is to give your life to Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to ask our prayer team if you're on the prayer team, go ahead and come down if you could. 
And I would ask that if you have a need of any kind, that you would just bring that to the prayer team. Or, man, if you haven't received Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you would, you would give your life to, to Him, that you would dedicate yourself to Him. If you've been far away from God, and maybe you're saying, like, I need to make a, a, a renewal of a declaration. It doesn't mean you're getting like saved again. No, it just means you just want to, someone to pray with you. That Man, I, I want to come back to Jesus if that's you today. I want you to let one of our prayer team members pray with you. If you've never made that decision, if maybe you've had religion and you've been that whitewashed tomb where you look really good on the outside, but on the inside there's no life. If, listen, if you look really good on the outside and you've done all the church things and you've done all the spiritual Christian things, but you haven't repented and you haven't accepted Jesus, then you're full of dead man's bones. And you can be cleansed today, but you've got to recognize your need and your dependence. You've got to humble yourself to say, Jesus, I need you, instead of going, oh, I'm good because I did this, or oh, I'm good because I did that. No, if you need Jesus today, please let us pray with you. Please let us minister to you today in some way. If you have anything else going on in your life where he just wants to surround you and love on you with that love of God and that only the family of God you know, can have for another member of the family of God. Let us do that today. Let us do that today. So if you have any need at all, you can, you can come. Would you stand this morning, church? Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.